welcome to episode 13 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all that's happening with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are adding a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices, names, and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The US PHL is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USPHL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020 and 2021, representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 20. Overall, across all of its divisions, the USPHL has more than 1,200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019 and 20, and more than 250 playing pro hockey, including the NHL. Learn more at USPHL. Last week was a banger to say the least. We sat down with Tyler Harkins from Ohio University, ACHA Division I team to discuss his time growing up in hockey, uh, to playing and graduating from OU, to his future possibilities, playing and growing his Rule 1 advisory business. It was nice to talk to Tyler. You know, we get to see Tyler around the rinks and uh, quite a bit. And it's, uh, I'm, I, was, I didn't know anything about Rule 1. Uh, great learning about that. Um, I think people are going to have uh, a, a good person within the area advising uh, them to do the right thing. It was also interesting to hear Tyler talk about his time uh, growing up and playing and, and coming from what a great family with the Harkins family here in Cleveland. Tyler Harkins has so many irons in the fire that I don't know how he keeps it all straight, but he's a, uh, he's a very active individual. His mind's going. His ideas are flowing. It was cool to talk to him and learn about Rule One. Like you said, I didn't uh, outside of doing research for him. I didn't know too much about it, and it was cool that you know there's a guy in the area that 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 wants to do this, that you should be able to trust, and and it's good for him, man. I mean, it's hell just from his playing days alone. I mean, the kid was always fun to watch, and while maybe he didn't know what the defensive zone looked like a lot of time, sorry Tyler, um, he was a prolific scorer in every level that he's been at, so. It was a cool, cool conversation with Tyler. Yeah, and if you're if you're listening out there and you you don't know kind of which way to go in your career, um, and you just want to like sit down and talk to somebody about options, Tyler's probably a good guy to go to and talk to him and his uh, uh, Rule One Advisory business. You, you know, he's he has a lot of connections, and you know, definitely uh, would put you in the right spot. So make sure you look up Rule One Advisory. Uh, then we sat down with our first reoccurring guest from the Ohio Hockey Project. Russ Senkiewicz joined us to talk about the project's summer plans and how we formed the Summer Elite League and how the high school's future league and how many young players can and should be uh, go about improving to make the most of their skills. Uh, I look forward to going and continue watching those games. Uh, surely can't play at that level anymore, but uh, it's fun to go down to the rink and watch those kids play, especially a lot of our guys, Jay, and a lot of the high school kids that we'll be coaching against. Um, and then uh, the SEL with a lot of guys in the area uh, at a high, high level. You know what's fun about the summer elite and uh, high school future is 
it's not like the 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 old summer leagues, spring leagues, where it was just a, a, a horse around session, and you know guys would get into it or guys would go <clears throat> half uh, half cocked there in the game, and it was kind of a I don't know it was it was boring because it was slow and you know this this is a high level the pace is quick and and that's the futures league and then you go to the summer elite where you know guys are getting ready for camps or, or players excuse me are getting ready for camps and and they're getting ready to for tryouts and, and things like that so they're on full tilt you know getting ready to to leave and go hopefully uh continue their futures in hockey and and Russ does it right, man. We talk about it all the time when, when we discuss the hockey project from his camps to his leagues. The guy does it right. And, and it's, it's a heck of a resource that people really need to take uh, advantage of while it's, while it's going. Absolutely. If you're listening out there and you're not signed up for any of uh, the Ohio Hockey Project's uh, camps or uh, sessions or leagues, make sure to make it a point to do so because it's definitely worth your while. You'll get good instruction, um, and, but most importantly, you'll be around good, good guys that know what the hell they're doing and they do it for the right reason. Well, this week on the Baker's Dozen, episode 13, already unlucky 13, but not an unlucky episode for us. I can tell you that. We have two great gentlemen that we're going to sit down and talk to. And as I was thinking about this, Lev, we now, after this episode, would have talked to every pro level of the Red Wings organization. Well, first and foremost, the fact you used organization, <laughs> the tip, of the, tip of the cap to you, my friend, uh, to our Canadian listeners. Um, I know we are big fans of the Detroit Red Wings organization, if you will. Uh, this has just been, I mean, the whole what, what we're doing has just been a blessing and that we have the opportunity to talk to, you know, from, from the East Coast League to the American League to the parent club in Detroit. It's just been awesome. And, you know, Detroit's going through a hard time right now with their, their rebuild. I shouldn't say they're going through a hard time. Their fans are going through a hard time uh, with that rebuild. But <laughs> buckle up, buddy. We're in Detroit now. Right. So we have the privilege to sit down with the head coach of the American Hockey League, Grand Rapids Griffins. He's a graduate of Shaker Heights High School. Uh, he is a player of the year in the state of Ohio. He's a graduate of the Notre Dame University and a Calder Cup champion. Uh, he was even a player coach when transitioning from playing to coaching, which is a great story. I can't wait to talk to him about that, how you can be a head coach and a player and make decisions and score goals at the same time. Uh, ben Simon is joining us this afternoon. Uh, also from the Detroit Red Wings, a Stanley Cup champ, a Jack Adams Award winner, a United States Olympic coach from Bowling Green State University, Dan Bellisman, will be joining us as well. Uh, this is sure going to be off the chain. I cannot wait to talk to these guys. Uh, can't wait to learn a little bit about, like you talked about, Jay, the transition Detroit's going through. It's probably harder on the fans than it is on anybody else, but we'll surely get in some insight on that. But before we get going, uh, what's been going on with uh, you guys? Danny. How's the uh, how's the prospect or the uh, the the house clean out and ready for the move going for you guys? Uh, <clears throat> we're getting there. It's just now the packing process and uh, the the people that we bought the house from was a older gentleman who passed away. So we just found out, you know, yesterday we're probably going to inherit all of his shit that was in his house. So and we now have two houses to clean out. Oh, oh, there you go. Hey, oh, owning a home. Fun. 
So if anyone needs a gems, buddy. a lawnmower or a dining room set or any of that stuff, let me know. Is it a push mower? It is a push mower. I'll take Let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can we hey can we have can we come over and have like a coach's auction? Like yes. you should bring the coaching. Yeah, I swear you should just bring the coaching group over and what we can do is just have an auction. But no one well, pays anything. Hey, no. sweeps week is coming up. We should do online bidding on the on air podcast yeah. for re- remnants of Danny's new house. Well, if you, if you, I, I, I can't wait to hear from uh, next week's uh, episode when you've had a chance to get into the house and see what's there and maybe put a little bit up uh, uh, to the, to the listeners, and let them know what they possibly have a chance to, to bid on. <laughs> win. Yeah. Hey, win. It's, just, it's just a game of chance. Right. It's, it's just not, a game of chance. Hey, we're, I'm, not not gam- I'm not gambling. I'm not gambling. No, it's a game of chance. Game well, of I'll, chance. I'll tell you what, it was, it was nice to actually get out and, and do some things, but as we, we talked about earlier, Jay and Danny, you know, I, you know, I'd like to keep doing some things, you know, I mean, we hear all these, these people like go out and have a beer, go enjoy yourself. We don't need to be nuts to butts at bars, hanging out, just acting like a bunch of yo-yos out there. Like what the hell are we doing? Man, some of these videos are crazy. Huh. People are acting like a bunch of jack wagons out there. So, like, I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, look. It, it, we've been seriously, for- <clears throat> no, seriously yeah. you see some of these videos of these bars. It's crazy. Like, I'd like to keep doing fun things. I don't need these. these. I mean, my gosh, what are we doing? Did you see the pool yeah. bar in Putin Bay? Yes. Like, before, before COVID, who knows what the hell is swimming around in that water, disease-wise. Now you had COVID on it top of it it's it's more crowded today or this year than it was last year yeah it's it's all right so everybody has kids here when you tell them no what do they want to do they want to do it because we're all kids ultimately we're all kids i did see that that photo and the video danny of the pool bar in putting bay and as sully said it was literally nuts to butts and it's like holy god you're gonna get nuts to butts, and then you're gonna get in the in the COVID unit in the hospital. Just, yeah, and then, I mean, and, then, and then we're Just, not and then we're not gonna be able to play hockey because of that. Come on, no, people. You're right, and and that's why we're having a rise in. I don't want to call it a spike because, as we talked about earlier, testing's increased and everything like that. So it's just it's uh, whatever. I mean, stop, pump the brakes, if you will. Let's slow down. You could still go enjoy some things. Enjoy those things that you can enjoy. We will be able to go back to partying the way that people apparently like to do it. Just patience. Patience. I want to play hockey. Those, man, those videos are out of control. I, that's the one I was talking about, Danny, the one from Putin Bay. Like, that is just how that the place did not get cited. I have no idea. I have no idea. And the, and down and down in the flats or whatever the hell they call them now, East, East 5th, 4th, 6th, whatever it is, down there, they're just out there. Hanging away, you know. Hanging away. <laughs> hey, I want to give a, a quick shout-out to our buddy who's recovering at home, uh, the PSP himself, Chris Kogan. Get well, buddy, and we'll uh, get into the nachos and some uh, some beverages soon. I know yeah, he's a li- sure. listener of the podcast, so I want to give him a shout-out. For sure, Chris. We think it, we're thinking about you, buddy, and uh, I'm glad you're home and glad that you're resting well and uh, keep fighting the good fight, bro. 
with all this warm weather here in Ohio, let's dive into the digest and say, I don't know, a backflip kind of way to see what's making news in the world of hockey. Are you an inspiring young sports writer or just like watching or talking about hockey? Ohio Hockey Digest is looking for writers to provide coverage for all levels of hockey, but primarily high school, ACHA, and girls and women's hockey in and around the state of Ohio. We are currently lining up contributing writers for the 2020-2021 season. If you are interested, please contact Scott Harrington at scott at ohiohockeydigest.com or 216-548-2345. The NHL held the first phase of their draft lottery on Friday, but we still don't know which team will have the top pick in the 2020 NHL entry draft. The team selected was a placeholder for one of the losers in the play-in round. A second lottery will determine which of the eight first-round losers gets the number one pick. The post-lottery order is, number one is to be determined, number two, the Los Angeles Kings, number three, Ottawa Senators, number four, Detroit Red Wings, number five, Ottawa Senators, number six, the Anaheim Ducks, number seven, the New Jersey Devils, and number eight, the Buffalo Sabres. Most every draft board has three players at the top. According to TSN's Bob McKenzie, they are in order. Alexei Lafreniere of Ramuski Oceanic in the Quebec Major Junior League. Tim Stutzla of the German League. And Quentin Byfield of the Sudbury Wolves of the Ontario Hockey League. The Detroit Red Wings, in a season with a big three at the top of the draft, moved down from one to number four. It was the fourth straight season they moved down in the lottery. Man, they got guys, screwed there. They got screwed uh, there. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. If, if a team that finishes basically dead last in the National Hockey League needed anything more, it was the Detroit Red Wings. And, well, uh, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk to the guys today about it, but damn. Well, yeah. Hey. How, how does that happen? I don't know. I mean, you look at it, and you could have a team like Pittsburgh, Edmonton, or Toronto possibly ending up with the top pick in the draft. <laughs> I mean, let's think about it. Most, you know, the consensus number one is uh, Alexi Lafreniere. He's been major junior player of the year twice before getting drafted. Chances are good he's going number one. Well, you think? <laughs> You'd hope. Two-time player of the year before he's even draft eligible. Okay. So, so maybe in a year he's playing with I don't know Crosby, or he's playing with uh, McDavid, or possibly he's I don't know up there with Austin Matthews and and. Uh, Mitch Marner. <laughs> help, says Detroit. Help. But, hey, I guess that's the way the, the ball bounces. Yeah. The second phase of the lottery will take place between the qualifying round and the first round of the playoffs and will slot the eight play-in losers. Each one will have an equal one in eight or 12.5% chance to claim the top pick. Michael Gilden, who recently finished his freshman season on the Ohio State men's hockey team, along with future Buckeye, Jakob Dubish and Mason Lockery are all listed in the draft prospect ranking from the NHL Central Scouting Bureau. Dubish is ranked 20th among North American goalies, and Lockery, a defenseman, is number 132 among North American skaters. Gilden was not ranked, but was included on the limited viewing list after only playing eight games due to injury. That will be interesting to see how that draft goes. I'm, I I don't want to say I'm looking forward to it because it, it I'm sure some teams are going to raise all sorts of hell uh, about the way this goes down. But 
it'll be interesting to see how this uh, works out. And actually, that was a, uh, speaking of that, that be a, maybe a good time to circle back with it, like an Ian Moran and see where he thinks all those guys are going that we talked about earlier in one of our episodes. <clears throat> Jerome McGinley, Marion Hosa, Kevin Lowe, and Doug Wilson were among the five players and one builder elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame last week. Also elected was Kim St. Pierre of Canada Women's National Team. She will be the first female goalie inducted. Ken Holland was elected in the builders category as well. The new head coach of the ACHA Division II team at the Ohio State University is Greg Corcoran. Prior to moving to Columbus, Corcoran coached U14 and U15 AAA teams in Boston. Since moving to Columbus, he has coached youth hockey and the St. Charles Prep JV program. Staying with the offseason coaching announcements, Brad Edwards, a 1996 graduate of Kent Roosevelt, has assumed the head coaching position with the Rough Riders. Edwards becomes the sixth head coach in the history of the Rough Riders program and really appreciates the opportunity to coach his alma mater. I'm really uh, humbled and honored for the opportunity to be able to uh, take the reins at my alma mater. Uh, You know, it's not too often where people can have the opportunity to, you know, coach for the team that they played for as well as coach in the arena where they grew up playing youth hockey, then high school hockey at Kent Roosevelt, and college hockey at Kent State. So I'm just super excited for the opportunity, and you know we've already had an off-season meeting with the players, and we're getting ready to start our off-season conditioning. And really just excited to move forward and continue the Roosevelt tradition. He's taken over for a great coach. Uh, ben did an awesome job. Uh, ben Barlow did an awesome job uh, with uh, Kent Roosevelt. We wish Ben all the best uh, and uh, look forward to coaching and, and working with Brad Edwards. But what a great uh, uh, program there. Yeah, Benny's done, Benny's done a heck of a job in his tenure there. And as you said, we wish him the best in, in moving forward. Brad's a great guy. Uh, the Rough Riders are in an in a, uh, excellent position with Brad at the helm. He's going to do great things for that program for sure. The men are icebreakers of the Federal Prospects Hockey League signed six more players last week. Two players, forward defenseman Henry Berger and forward Josh Newberg, saw action with the team last season while four new faces were added to the fold. Forwards Dylan Coach, Tyler Powell, and Marco Luciani, and defenseman Dylan Farrell-Rennie. Berger was signed to a standard contract while the other five were all signed on PTOs, professional tryouts. Icebreakers head coach Sebastian Ragno says the team is really starting to take shape and he only has a few more pieces left in the puzzle as the team prepares for their third season of play at the Menor Ice Arena this October. The Lake Erie Bighorns of the USPHL signed Olmstead Falls Bulldog Brady Fitzpatrick for the upcoming season. Fitzpatrick scored five goals and nine points in 10 greater Cleveland High School Hockey League white division games last year as a junior. The Ohio Hockey Digest is keeping a list of player advancements on the front page of the website, www.ohiohockeydigest.com. Let us know of any players you know moving on to the higher level of the game. The GTIHL, the Greater Toledo Inline Hockey League, is looking to expand its game day operation personnel for the 2020 summer inline hockey season, which we anticipate to begin in July. At this time, we are still waiting for the final approval of our COVID-19 health and safety plan, but we need your help as we're looking to fill the following positions, rink managers, scorekeepers, and hockey officials. Please visit 
gtihl.com slash apply online for information regarding each job opening and to apply today. Returning game staff, please complete a new application if you are interested in returning for the 2020 summer season. If you already applied earlier this year, please do not submit a new application. We need your help. Apply today. The Greater Toledo Inline Hockey League. Let's welcome our first guest, the head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins, Shaker Heights native, Ben Simon. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL has five teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area. The Columbus Mavericks, the Toledo Cherokee, the Wooster Oilers, Lake Erie Bighorn, and the Fort Wayne Spacemen. Learn more at USPHL.com. Our first guest had an 11-year pro hockey career, drafted in the fifth round, 110th overall by the Chicago Blackhawks in the 1997 NHL entry draft. He represented the United States at the World Junior Championships in 1997 and 1998, winning a silver medal in 1997. Played four years at the University of Notre Dame and was captain his senior year. He was the 1997 North American Hockey League Rookie of the Year, playing 50 games for the Cleveland Barons, tallying 45 goals and 46 assists for 91 points. His junior year at Shaker Heights High School, he rattled off 61 goals and 68 assists for 129 points in just 25 games. We will talk about that later. That is insane. Earning him Player of the Year honors. From Shaker Heights, Ohio, please welcome on air the head coach of the American Hockey League's Grand Rapids Griffiths, Ben Simon. Welcome, coach. Thanks for having me on. That is a long intro. <laughs> yeah, well, I've said it before, and, and people that listen to our podcast hear me all the time. I just get to read it. You guys have accomplishment, and that is some accomplishments. So congratulations uh, to you on all your accomplishments. Digging up skeletons there. Yeah, okay. Uh, we're digging, digging to buy time here. I like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk We're going to talk about that uh uh, 129 points in 25 games coming up, but you know, let's talk about uh, your coming up. Uh, you played in Shaker Heights, and for some of our listeners that don't know, Shaker Heights is an eastern suburb of Cleveland, uh, and uh, you played through that whole system coming up all the way through high school. Correct? Correct. Yeah, obviously things have changed quite a bit with, with the with the travel hockey, with with the USHL, with the North American Hockey League, and uh specialization in, in one sport i mean it was just different back then and i just grew up playing for the shaker youth hockey association and you know you had a group of friends and you play there a couple of years in mites and you go to sports and you go to peewees and then high school or bantam whatever it was but you know you, you played hockey during the hockey season the spring you played baseball in the summer you didn't even know where your hockey equipment was you're you know, cruiser on your bikes, you're playing home run derby with your buddies. You were playing maybe a little baseball. It was just a little bit different than it is now. Right. So we, I, I have to ask you about this junior year coach junior year at Shaker Heights high school. I, I know you didn't put these many points up your sophomore year when I played against you. <laughs> However, you're already a state champion in 93 with Shaker. You absolutely destroy Ohio high school hockey, 129 points, 25 games was high school hockey just a toy for you at that point and as the saying goes don't leave until you're the best at where you where you are really did take a strong hold for you didn't it uh you know that was a long time ago and I don't know how accurate those numbers are but uh I mean it was I mean my freshman year it was it was really cool because I think my freshman year there were only two freshmen to to make the the varsity team and that was that was a big deal and that was a pretty cool accomplishment you know to walk around the high school as a freshman every Friday you're wearing the jersey and you know you look back with fond memories there and then 
sophomore, you take on a little bit more of a role. And uh, my brother was on the team as well. So he, I had him to look after me a little bit. And then uh, my junior year, it just kind of, everything kind of fell into place, but it was, uh, it was just a lot of fun. And it was, you know, I had a great, great coach in Mike Bartley. He uh, recently uh, retired somewhat recently. And uh, I mean, having a guy like him in my, in my corner was huge. And then after that junior year, uh, a couple opportunities presented themselves uh, through USA hockey. And I uh, was able to make uh, the select 17 team uh, that traveled over to Japan. And once I made that team, it was funny, the, re the recruiting really started at that point. And, you know, colleges were calling, letters were coming. And then uh, Notre Dame, you know, I took my four or five visits to different colleges, uh, my official visits, and got it down to Notre Dame. And Dave Poulin was, uh, was a big proponent of making sure that I was comfortable but, but challenged. He said, you, you can stay at Shaker and play your senior year there. Or I had already planned at that point to go to play for the Barons for Tim Alexander. And at that point, I thought it would be a good challenge for me. and, and Mike Bartley and the the whole uh, the athletic department was very supportive. My parents were supportive, and it was it was unique because a lot of kids these days they have to go away and they stay with billets, and you know, that's a, that's a very different uh, challenge, and it's just a different experience where you're living away from your family. I was able to live at home, go to the same high school, and play uh, essentially in the same city, and then, you know I just get up in the morning and I drive over to Brooklyn. We practice at Brooklyn. Uh, bust my butt back to school, get there by nine o'clock and do my classes. And, uh, it taught you time management, some balance of, uh, you know, the commitment that it takes and the sacrifice. You know, I wasn't able to go to a lot of the, the homecomings or the proms or the stuff like that, but that was the the path I chose. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun to play, uh, to play junior hockey. And then after that, it was, uh, off to college. So we're going to talk about your steps and, and, and your career as well as then getting into your coaching. But if, you know, what was that a high school experience like to you? What, what do you remember the most about it? We have a lot of listeners that, that are playing high school and that are hoping to go to the junior level, whatever. So what, can you talk to us just a little bit about that high school experience first, and then we'll get into the junior and the pro game. Well, I think it's special. And I think that's, uh, I think it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, the, the certain, their, their games. And this is, I mean, geez, I graduated high school in 96, but I, I can still remember, Friday night games playing St. Ed's or playing university school and that being the big deal in, in, uh, in the city, you know, it was, there was a lot of buzz at school that day and excitement. And I go back now and I look and look around Thornton park arena. It's like, I thought this is a lot bigger. You know, it's like when you're a kid, you thought that snow hill was, you know, it was a mountain. It's like <laughs> this little bunny hill, this was, but you go back, it's like, huh. But I, but I encourage, like, it was to embrace everything. I mean, it's, it's really cool to be able to, to, to do the student athletics through, you know, at your own school, there's a, I think there's a sense of pride. I think there's a sense of, uh, you know, camaraderie and team with, uh, with your fellow student athletes. And it's, it's just really cool. And obviously when you have success as a team, you've got good people involved. Uh, you know, you, you look back and you have fond memories of it. Yeah. Well, I will say though that, uh, the nine o'clock start on a Friday night was made it a little electric as well. Yeah. Well, and again, I that, that, that was normal to me. So it was right. cool. Yeah, normal right. in bed by ten thirty, but yeah, right. <laughs> but it, right. Was, you know, it was really right. you know the and Jake, We lived you know two miles from the rink, so you could you know you could walk, you could get picked up by you know and that was yeah. that was part of the other thing. You know, as, as an underclass, we were 
you know, one of the old, you know, the older guys, you know, the upper class and we would pick you up and like, you know, you're hanging out with the older <laughs> right. car. You know, it was kind of neat. You know, you kind of all of a sudden you become one of the older guys and you kind of pass the battalion there and you, you learn a little bit of being mentored and then you, you learn how to mentor yourself. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was, you look back and it was, it was really, it's just a fascinating, the, the whole high school athletics and, you know, football is a big one in Ohio too, but you know, hockey's not that far behind and, just the gamesmanship and the sportsmanship and the people involved are, are what you remember the most. Yeah. You know, you got, you have the atmosphere and shaker. I, I remember a Friday night and Mr. Frerick's up there on the organ and, yeah. and you, you got yeah. the, the, the warm-up song that, that, uh, Oh God, I think it's called the chase and, and it, it hell, they still use it today, which is absolutely fantastic. It's from the midnight the express. Yeah. yeah. The old yeah. midnight express. Yeah. 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 Yep. Actually, so and to be honest with you, I, used, I, I, I actually watched that movie to figure out what the hell the song is from, right? <laughs> I have no idea where it came from, but I because yeah, because you guys, I mean, you guys love it, but as a as an opponent opposing player or now coach that goes in there, like you got to pre- prepare yourself for the song because it's going to be stuck in your head for days. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to walk through the crowd and warm up there. It was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was yeah. fun. Yeah. So after after your days in Shaker, you move on North American Hockey League with yep. the Cleveland Barons. Continue your growth. You win Rookie of the Year honors with uh, 91 points that, that season. Obviously, junior hockey options have changed now, but what was that junior hockey experience like for you? I think it was unique to me because I was able to stay at home. You know, I didn't have to get kind of acclimated to to a different family, to a different city, and, and really kind of – I didn't really have to grow up and live on my own immediately. You know, I had – you know, my brother was uh, out, away at uh, – at prep school, my old, my other brothers were, were at home. Uh, my dad was still working. My mom was, so I had the stable family environment, so to speak. And it didn't really, nothing really changed. So that to me was, was huge for my development. I didn't really have to go and sacrifice all that, that much. Uh, it was a lot of driving back and forth to the West side. And, uh, other than that, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it was very manageable, but uh, from a hockey point of view, it was, it was a big step because all of a sudden you go from being, I think I was 17 or 16 or 17 at the time. And you're one of the older guys who would have been a senior in high school. And all of a sudden now you're playing against guys that are two, three years older than you. And those guys are bigger, they're stronger. Uh, they've done it before. So they're used to going, you know, you're going into rinks for the first time. You don't, I had no clue where's CompuWare, where's, uh, Saginaw where like I had no clue where these buildings were so you're going through a lot of firsts in that regard and you're kind of cutting your teeth a little bit but uh just the competition I found back then was it was a heck of a lot uh harder to to find space on the ice it was heck of a lot harder to to hold on to the puck because guys are bigger faster stronger and as you go up every level it gets harder and harder and that's it was no different than going from high school to juniors so you you I had the opportunity to commit to University of Notre Dame, uh, as everyone know, knows in the world, what an unbelievable institution that place is. Um, but you had you looked at some other schools, correct? I did, yeah. You know, uh, Lake Superior State, Harvard, Boston College, I believe, were a couple of them. They, how do you know this? Jeez, hey, man, we do we, we listen. We do our we, research, we do, buddy. We do our research, man. <laughs> I, and I for, and I forgot I, Miami as well. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Why so I, I did take a look at uh, your lot five official visits. So I went to. Uh, where did I go? You just mentioned them. I went to Lake State. A little bit of I was all over the board. I went to Harvard. I went to Boston College, Lake Superior State, uh, and then I was supposed to go to Miami. And I kind of pulled the shoot at that point because I knew at that time I was going to uh, I was going to make the commitment to Notre Dame. But uh, again, along the way, you know, the recruiting process is it was, that that was unique 
as well, you know, coaches coming into, into the house and meeting with my parents and, you know, hearing what they had to say, you met some good coaches along the way, you met some different people along the way and you had some different experiences to kind of see what was, you know, you saw some positives about schools and you saw some things you thought would be at that school and it just wasn't what you thought. It just wasn't a good fit. So it was, uh, it's definitely a learning process to go through and you kind of, you know, do a little soul searching and you try and find out what you'd be the best fit, both as a, as a person, what hockey, where that would fit in. And you try and make the best decision possible. And then you, and then you grind forward. Right. So a lot, a lot of our listeners are like trying to make that decision, whether it's, maybe it's college, maybe it's a high school, maybe it's a junior team, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, we've talked to a couple other players, you know, why Notre Dame for you? What was it about Notre Dame uh, that was going to be the right fit for you? Well, for me, uh, a lot of it had to do with hockey. I mean, my, my first goal was, was to play college hockey. Now, whether it was D1 or D3, I never thought that it would lead to anything past that, if that. So uh, to have the opportunity to go to college, then all of a sudden you see a few doors open and then you, your options become a little bit more prevalent. So uh, hockey grew a little bit more to the forefront than just going to college. And so one of the biggest uh, – attributes that I looked at was the ability to play right away. Notre Dame wasn't great. They were kind of reestablishing where they were in the CCHA, a uh, new coach coming in with Dave Poulin. And I had to be able to play for a guy that played in the NHL, uh, had the ability to learn from him and what it takes to maybe potentially have a chance to play in the NHL was huge. Uh, the ability to go in as a freshman and play significant minutes right away, as opposed to you know, if I would have gone to Boston College, you know, they had a stacked team. I mean, you look at some of those teams with Reisner, Gianta, Buckley, like some of those guys, it, I maybe wouldn't have had, which would have been fine. That wasn't a determining, you know, negative factor, but just knowing that I was going to have a heck of a, more of an opportunity to be one of the go-to guys early in my career, uh, that was that was big. And again, it was just an opportunity. It's what you do with the opportunity sure. that's sure. Uh, that matters most. But so that was the first. Uh, and then secondly, uh, the academics and uh, just the the challenge of that, I thought would be uh, would be unique. It's a good school uh, academically. And then the, the last thing would probably be just the proximity to home. You know, it's, it was a four hour drive door to door. My parents could come watch uh, some of my games when they weren't too tied up with my other brothers and uh, I could get home for, uh, for holidays. So it was, uh, it, was just, it just, and it just felt right. You go on, and you, you know, what's right. So anyone that's out there getting recruiter looking at schools right now, I would just recommend it. You know, you, you, you take a look at what matters most to you and you'll know, like it feels right. Something just feels right when you're there and you kind of just fall in love with the place. So you're drafted after your freshman year at Notre Dame, you win a silver medal at the world juniors same year, growing up high school to juniors college, you were always a scorer. When you went pro, your game switched to a more defensive-minded style. Was that by design? Was it out of necessity? And can you talk to us about how that meta metamorphosis took place? Well, that's called Darwinism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's called surviving. Um, yeah. No, you know, I was uh, in college, high school, before going pro, I was uh, I was more offensive guy for sure. And uh my first year pro, I, I thought I came out of Notre Dame as captain. I had a great uh, last two years. I'm ready for the NHL. I, I got this. And then I, I uh, go to my first training camp. I was one of the first guys to get sent down. And that was that was eye-opening just to see the, the, the number of talented players out there 
and who you're competing against. I mean, you've got, I think the last, I, I did some presentation earlier this summer and you've got a four, any kids playing high school hockey, you've got, I think it's a 4% chance of playing college hockey, division one college hockey. Now you want to take those numbers, take, and that was just us high school and junior hockey players, the percentages. Now you're factoring to, to play pro uh, little on the NHL. You're talking about Europeans, Canadians, major junior. Uh, it's just a whole big, big ocean of, of guys out there. And uh, with the Atlanta Thrashers being a an expansion team, they had a lot of prospects. They had a lot of guys that they were taking a look at. And when I got sent down, uh, you go through a training camp down there, and I was one of the last players to be told, "Okay, get a place." You know, they tell you to get a place. You know, you're staying there gives you a little bit more of a stability, a little bit more confidence. Or at that point, if you don't get told to get a place there, now you're going down to the East Coast League and now you're fighting to get a place on that team. So uh, for me, it was, I wasn't going to be a top six guy, top six forward yet. Uh, wasn't maybe even in the top nine. So it was, okay, they don't need goal scorers. It was, here's your role, Benny. Here's what you got to do. Uh, this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do if you want to stay here. So it's kind of, I bought into that and uh, you just find a way to stay. You find a way to, uh, to, to make sure that you're doing the, the right thing. You're, you're being a good teammate. You're being a good citizen. You're keeping your nose clean and you don't give them a reason to send you down. So that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing for any, any kid to hear at any level. You know, yeah. you, you, you leave your, let's just say you leave your youth program, you go to your high school, your junior, your travel it's almost a, 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 a the big fish, small pond, small fish, big pond mentality. You got to just kick, scratch, claw, whatever needs to be done, do it to succeed. Yeah. Well, again, it's, you know, if, if, if they, they've got that role fill it's in, they say, you know, your role is going to be a fourth line center. You go be the best fourth line center that you can be. Right. And then once that opportunity, maybe through the third line center opens up, then you try and be the best third line center. But I think you have to make what's, uh, make the most of the opportunity it's given to you. And, and from there, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of time and place, but it's a hell of a lot of work and you just got to be committed to doing it and making sure that you're doing things the right way. All right. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about uh, a date, uh, November 10th, 2001. First NHL game. Talk to us about that. What's that feeling like? Well, my first shift was quick. <laughs> <laughs> My first shift, uh, I remember getting the call from Kevin Dayoff, who was the general manager for the Chicago Wolves. We lived in a little apartment in Schaumburg, uh, just west of Chicago. And phone rings and Chevy said, uh, you're, you're going up. And uh, it was just me and my wife at the time. And it was just like, holy cow, this is, <laughs> this is happening. So within a matter of uh, six, seven hours, you're on a plane, uh, flew to Washington. Uh, the Thrashers were in Washington. Uh, my family was able to get there, which was pretty cool. All my parents were able to get there. My parents were there. And uh, nice. my first shift, it was a D-zone face-off. So there's a whistle. Uh, D-zone face-off. Washington has the last change. So uh, Kurt Fraser puts out the fourth line. And so here come the, the knuckleheads going out for a D-zone face-off. Washington has last change. So, of course, if you see the fourth line coming out and you're Washington, you're like, jackpot, we're putting our guys out there. So, out comes Adam Oates. Take the face off. And did, I, did you, I grew up did loving you just, the – Did you just say Adam Oates? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. So <laughs> Adam and I grew up loving the Boston Bruins, Cam Mealy, Adam Oates. And if anyone's ever seen them close, like Adam Oates' stick blade is maybe like six, seven inches. It's small. So I grew up watching this guy, idolizing this guy. First chip, D-zone face-off, puck drops. Didn't even touch, like didn't touch it. He snaps right back, goes D to D, point shot, save, change. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. But it's like, yeah, it's still pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I heard I heard a uh, a podcast uh, Adam Oates talking about why he he cut his stick so short. Then he he had some like wrist injury or something that he had he couldn't control the stick anymore. Is so that right? To, yeah, so he cut it. He he cut the blade shorter because it was easier for him to handle the the puck. Well, he with handled me pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, my 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 logistics of the story, you know, it, it's it, it's around about that that story, but. Um, His wrist well, seems fine to me at that time. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You're, you're calling shenanigans on that crap yeah, right there. Yeah, well, that's reverse psychology. One nothing, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so, Benny, your, your your final playing season, 2010, 2011. Coincidentally, it's also your first season coaching. How did you end up in England, and how did that year play out for you? I mean, being a player and the coach, but you're playing you, you 54 games. You you come out with. 21 goals, 36 assists, and oh, by the way, you're also the head coach. Yeah, it was crazy. So, so let me let me just understand this because I was I was reading this, and, and so you're you're the head coach. Yeah. And you also were playing every third shift. Yeah, it's all right. Did anyone ever call you Reg Dunlop at all? Come on, you you had to be called that. Oh, my brothers just yeah, they mocked me all yeah, complete. But it was uh, once you turn in the American League. Uh, where I spent probably 90% of my time. Uh, once you play 260 pro games, or no, it's 320. 260 to 320 is a vet example. Once you play more than 320 pro games, and that's constituted as uh, AHL or NHL games, you are deemed a veteran. And the vet status, uh, you're only allowed to dress five vets uh, a game in the American League. So, and that, that rule is still true today. So, once you hit that vet status, you want you want your older guys to be a little bit more scoring prolifically. You want them being a little bit more offensive guys. Uh, and I just wasn't that guy. So it became harder and harder to 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 find a job. And uh, just because of those rules, and I was a beneficiary of it early in my career. And, you know, it just it, it got harder and harder. So uh, that's why I went over to Germany early in my career. And I came back, gave it one more kick at the can, and then – I, I always told myself if, if I have to go over to a different continent to find a job, like I, like I'm, I'm hanging it up. Like I'm going to put this degree to work. And when that time comes and it did come for me, it was like, I'm not ready to be done playing. So it was as much as you say that it's uh, it's hard to give up because life changes significantly once hockey's gone, once you're done playing. Uh, but I uh, couldn't find a job, couldn't find a job. My agent was looking all of a sudden, you know, I'm expecting him to find something. Like, come on, man, I played six or 700 games. Like, find something. And he comes back with, well, I've got, I've got something. <laughs> and it was the opportunity to be a player coach over in England. I knew nothing about the English Elite League. What I did know is that the, the, the window was shutting. The, the sunset was coming on my playing career. I had always thought about coaching. Uh, and this might be a decent opportunity for a couple of things. It was to see if I like coaching, gave me a little bit of taste of it. This might be something that I thought some guys just think, Oh, it's an easy, natural transition. I played long enough. I'll just go coach. And 
There are other guys, and they end up being terrible coaches. And there are other guys that never played the game, and they turned into to tremendous coaches. So that was my first thing. So, all right, I'm going to go over there and, and see what this is about. Uh, and, and the other thing was it would give me one last year to, in the interim, to network like hell, to call as many people as I could. Uh, well, you know, so it wasn't not to let it be a distraction, but you know, you, I knew this was coming. So you network, you let people know, Hey, this is probably my last uh, year in hockey, you stay connected a little bit. And then, uh, the same time too, is a good way. Like my daughters were, uh, I forget how old they would have been at that point, but it was a good way to give them a cultural experience through the game of hockey. And it was, you know, a, it was a great year and it was, it was a hell of a lot of learning on the fly. It was you go over there and all, yeah, yeah, you're the head coach, but now you've got to got to recruit a team. The team, Dave Matzos was a coach for, and I took this job late. So a lot of the players had been signed by that point. So I didn't have to do a lot of signing of players, uh, just a couple uh, towards the end of the summer. But then it was, you got to find uh, housing for the players. It's not like there's a, a team dorm or apartment complex. You Over in England, it was, you find houses and you have to rent houses and sign leases and going to a different country, let alone a different city, trying to get that done, uh, the travel, and then obviously uh, payroll, negotiating contracts. It was uh, immigration to get players over there. It was It was crazy. It was nuts, and it was a great experience. So being thrown into the fire, you just you find a way to figure it out. I, we had a great group of guys over that kind of realized, okay, uh, this – is a new experience for Benny. We'll, uh, <laughs> let him like, we'll let him learn here a little bit. The, the guys are great though. And, and, you know, we had, we had anywhere from a young 17 to 19 year old British kid to guys that were 33, 34 year old players that had played in the American league and the East coast league. Some guys had a couple of NHL games under their belt. So, uh, just a really solid group of people. Uh, but it was not, so you're planning practice. So you, my typical day was you get up, you, you plan practice, uh, here are the lines for today. And then, uh, in between periods, you're, you know, you just, it's essentially you're sitting in the locker room and it's almost like, I won't say glorified captaincy, but it is, I mean, but as a, as a player coach, you, you have to be disciplined. You have to be accountable. You have to, I mean, there are times where, you know, I turn the puck over. It's like, ah, I gotta sit myself. <laughs> then the back of my mind, like I am gassed anyways. I am yeah, exhausted. Right. Right? <laughs> did, did, did you have assistant coaches? I had uh, I had a player assistant, Ashley Tate, who was uh who was a Brit. So he was he was integral for knowing the area, uh just it kind of helping me steer the ship in that regard. And then uh during games, uh we had a, a bench coach. And essentially Neil and his name was Neil Abel, fantastic human being, awesome family, uh, huge, huge, thick Scottish accent. So every time you talk, it's like the guy from the, the janitor from the Simpsons is like, rah, 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 rah. what? <laughs> so it was, yeah, uh, yeah, do that, do whatever he just said. Yeah, it was, but once you got to know me, you could kind of understand the accent, but it was, it was, it was a great year. It was a great experience. And then from there, what was, uh, it was moving on to the American league and it was just time and place, but it was, you know, I look back and it was a, it was a crazy year, but it was a, it was a fun year. And you learned, a, I, I learned a ton. Yeah. Did, did you, did you ever have to healthy scratch yourself? I did not healthy scratch myself. No. <laughs> okay, good. Go, probably go, should have. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> At that point I probably should have. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> hey, earlier you said that, um, you know, uh, coach uh, uh, Bartley was a big influence to you and, 
and you know, you said that products of all coaches have been around with you, but like, can you talk to us a little bit about coach Bartley becoming an influence on you becoming a coach or how you coach in, in some standard today? Yeah, well, I, I look back and, you know, the people that influenced you from, from, uh, I could name coaches from mites. Bob Freed was my first coach in, in Shaker youth hockey. Jim Budosh was, uh, one of my coaches, uh, one of my best friends growing up was Mike Budosh and Jim coached us. Uh, Byron mm-hmm. Wallace coached us. Uh, but then you get to high school and Mike Bartley, uh, is probably one of the most respected coaches, uh, in all of high school sports in Ohio, uh, He's a Canadian guy he's from Sarnia. So right there, you know, as a young kid from Cleveland, you're like, oh, this guy, like, he's a hockey genius. He's from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but just the way, uh, you know, he, he was one of the, the gym teachers at, uh, at Woodbury at the time. And uh, he just, he, just the way he handled himself and conducted himself, he was a simple guy, but uh, he was a exercise guru. He was just a, he was a guy that you kind of, wanted to just be around. He's just a positive guy, quiet, uh, but just a really kind of calm, thoughtful guy. And he always seemed to say the right thing in the most constructive way. And uh, he never really had a ton of panic. He never really had a ton of uh, yell and bark, but when he said something, you you listen. So it's just the way he conducted himself and carried himself that, that I remember. And uh, I was actually, I played a game uh, in Toronto. I got to play it, uh, uh, I forget what year it was, but Mike and Stephanie came up and was able to get him a stick after game. That that was really cool, you know, to, to be able to give him that experience of getting him tickets at a, at a Leaf game, and you can sit there and say that like, I I had an impact on this kid's life. It was pretty cool. Sure, sure, that's awesome. So, Ben, you're you're a Turner Cup champ in the International Hockey League, Calder Cup champion in the American League, both as a player and a coach. Your first North American head coaching job, you take the East Coast Hockey League's. Cincinnati Cyclones to the Kelly Cup Finals. Now was the head coach in Grand Rapids of the American League. How do you find a balance between moving guys up, developing them, and also winning at your level? There has to be a ton of movement, especially with how the parent club is is basically rebuilding as well. And yep. there has to be tons of movement. How do you find that balance? Well, it, it's tough, but it's no different than any other American League team. I think Grand Rapids has done – Every team has a different, you know, I've worked for under the umbrella of, uh, of the Blackhawks, of the Maple Leafs, uh, Cincinnati was an independent team, you know, we didn't really have an affiliation with an NHL team per se, but uh, so the Blackhawks, the, the Maple Leafs, and now with the Red Wings, so different managerial philosophies, different uh, kind of mindsets as to what's prioritized, is it winning, is it developing, is it one one in the same. Uh, so it is a tough balance. And a lot of it is circumstantial. You know, some, some teams believe that uh, players develop quicker in a winning environment. You know, you don't want to just roll your young guys out there and have them get their teeth kicked in every, every game. Cause then they're coming back with zero confidence. So I, I think it's a fine balance. I think at Grand Rapids uh, in recent years, this will be my sixth year here. And in, in recent years, there's been a little bit more, uh, focus on the development side of things, but at the same time, we've had a a lot of younger players. We at the same time, we've also had a lot of older guys that have had success and have been winners. Uh, to have that kind of culture and those guys with those core values around these younger guys has helped them kind of expedite their development process. And 
you know, with all intents and purpose, I think last year there was a hell of a lot of development and we had some success uh, wins and losses. And I think before the pause here, before the season was canceled, we, uh, you know, our young guys were doing a lot of, uh, a lot of good things and they were doing a lot of, uh, they were trending in the right way. And they were playing, although we didn't play playoffs, they were getting meaningful minutes. You know, we had, I think 14 rookies played 30 or more games for us this year and played significant roles, power play PK. And uh, I think they made tremendous strides. You know, we, we spoke with uh, uh, Toledo Walleye head coach, Dan Watson, obviously in your guys' organization yep. uh, a couple weeks ago. And he, he kind of mentioned the same thing about a winning culture creates good habits, creates good development. And, you know, obviously you could see that through the whole uh, organization. So <clears throat> um with your parent organization, uh, the Red Wings, going through a little bit of a rebuild, is there any pressure on moving your guys up any quicker than need to be or, or no? I don't, I don't think there's any – I mean, every job comes with its pressures, but I, I think that there's more of an onus to – especially in the salary cap era, uh, some organizations are in different spots than others to, to expedite the development process as quickly as possible without kind of sacrificing the process itself. So – uh, in years past, you know, guys have spent a ton of time in, in the minors in Grand Rapids, kind of marinating, getting, you know, cutting their teeth, playing big minutes here. But at the same time, too, you know, that was 10, 15 years ago. It was they weren't some of these younger guys as good as they were down here. They weren't ready to take over Draper's job, Maltby's job. You know, they, they had some bona fide NHL potential Hall of Famers like. So that, you know, some of that had a lot to do with why they spent a lot of time in Grand Rapids. But now. You know, there's no, there's no reason to rush a kid right now. We want to get these guys experience as best we can. Uh, and when they're ready, the, our goal is to have, when they're ready to, to not have them come back. So, you know, and sometimes it's, and they might get a game or two because of injury and they want to see what these guys can do and they are going to send them back. And sometimes they'll tell the guys that other times it's just, okay, let's see what we think he's ready. And sometimes you're not. And sometimes you know, you may not think he's ready, but you want to give him a shot, and all of a sudden they take off and they never come back. So it is uh, – it's it's crazy how sometimes you think, you know, the kid gets called up and we send him on his way to Detroit. You're playing uh, tomorrow against the Maple Leafs, and I go, oh, probably back a couple games, and he never comes back. It's right. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's cool. Ben, in all your years involved in this great game, both as a player and a coach, how have you seen the game change – and what needs to happen to continue to move it in the right direction? Oh, well, I think it's getting younger. I think there's a lot. Uh, there's a little bit bigger uh, youth movement. Players are coming out of college. I think a little bit more more often now. I think. Uh, I mean, this year we had. I can speak to just our experience and a lot of other teams though as well. Uh, a lot of 20, 19, 20 year old kids on our team. Where you know maybe ten years ago that hasn't always been the case. Uh, and these kids, they're, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Uh, they're just the, the, the athletes themselves. I mean, it's it's almost like evolution. They're just they're better now than, than players were, uh, you know, even 10 years ago. You know, I, as a 19, 20 year old kid playing pro hockey in the American League, I can't imagine. Like I was barely getting my ass to class. So it was, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just uh, it just it's yeah. it's different. But I think that there's. Uh, I think there's a lot more involvement of, I mean, back when I played, there wasn't a ton of uh, video. I think video now is the huge uh, resource. I think technology in that regard has been uh, utilized a a lot more in terms of analytics, in terms of helping players 
uh, improve in different facets of their game, but also kind of understand the game in and of itself through, uh, through the analytics, through video. Right. Yeah. We, we talk, we talked to a lot of coaches and, and, and not, I mean, even at the high school level, the, the junior level, now the college level, the pro level, video has become such a, a big tool, you know, in, in everyone's games. And it was funny. We were, we were going back to talking with uh, Dan Watson and we, you know, Jay, Jay and I coach at the high school level here in Cleveland and we film all of our practices and the kids are looking up like, what the hell is this? Well, the tape doesn't lie. I can't see everything. Yeah. And, and Dan, what did they, they have? What did Dan say? They had truthful Truth, Tuesdays. Truthful Tuesdays. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Truthful Tuesdays. Right. And so nowadays you can't, you can't float. You can't make a mistake. I mean, you can make mistakes and mistakes are okay, but you, you can't, you know, take a shift off because the tape never lies. Yeah. There are no shortcuts anymore. No, 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 absolutely not. Well, coach, Hey, we can't thank you enough for coming on talking about your time here in Cleveland, talking about some great stories over at Thornton park, which still give me, you know, nightmares sometimes. Um, <laughs> and, and your, your, your playing career and your rise to coaching. And, and we wish you the best of luck. Again, we thank you for coming on our podcast and, and uh, giving our listeners some information about uh, uh, your career and where you're at today. Thanks for having me on, guys. From Grand Rapids, we head up to Grand Haven, Michigan, for our next guest, assistant coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Dan Belsma. Our next guest played in 429 NHL games spanning a 12-year pro career. Drafted sixth, 109th overall by the Winnipeg Jets in the 1989 NHL entry draft. He's a graduate of the Bowling Green State University. He was a two-time NCAA CCHA All-American, or I'm sorry, All-Academic Award winner. Head coach of the National Hockey League Pittsburgh Penguins and led them to a Stanley Cup. In 2010-11, Jack Adams Award winner as the NHL Coach of the Year. He was the head coach of the 2014 United States Olympic team in Sochi, Russia. He is a state champion golfer and baseball player and a hell of a fisherman. Please welcome on air from West Michigan Christian High School, assistant coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Dan Bellsman. Welcome, coach. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. No problem. I like, no. I like the list. <laughs> Absolutely. What's your, what's your favorite part? There's more on there, too, that we're going to get to, but what's your favorite part of that list? Uh, Bowling Green Falcon, state champion. Uh, those are high. Well, I, obviously, 09 Stanley Cup. Can't, right. Can't go too far without that being a, <laughs> the biggest deal. So, absolutely. Well, hey, we're going to talk a little bit about your youth, about growing up, and then going to Bowling Green. Your your playing, your coaching. So we're going to uh, kind of get dive into a lot of different things today. But you started out in the Muskingum Youth Organization leagues, uh, and then moved on to the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League, and from there, Western Hockey League, the Oakville Blades. St. Mary Lincoln before committing to Bowling Green. How did you decide on Bowling Green State University? Well, that was the easy part. And, and uh, part of the how I chose Bowling Green was you mentioned my path from Muskegon uh, amateur hockey to junior B in Ontario. My brother went to Bowling Green. He's eight years older than me. So I grew up uh, a fan watching Bowling Green hockey. Jerry York was the coach there at the time. Bill Wilkinson was the assistant coach. He uh, eventually went to Western Michigan. So when I was playing, uh, when I was 14, 15 years old, I was running out of places to play hockey. I, I played Muskegon. I played a year of AAA travel hockey 
in Grand Rapids. And I was going into my junior year of high school and I was running out of places to play hockey. We didn't have junior hockey really just starting at that point in time. And, and so coach York and coach Wilkinson kind of, uh, maybe a little unbeknownst to me, um, got me an opportunity to go to Canada to try out for um, a one of a couple teams. And Oakville was the first team that I went to on a, at a tryout uh, for my grade 11, 11th grade year. Uh, and that's where I ended up playing junior B. So I'm go, go play two years of junior B in Canada. And I went there because of Bowling Green. I went there because of coach Wilkinson and, and Western Michigan. So, when it came time for me to go to college, the, the logical choice, the three places I was looking at going, Michigan, Western Michigan, Bowling Green, and, and Western and Bowling Green because of, of Coach York and, and Coach Wilkinson getting me the opportunity to go to, to, to play junior B. So it was logical that I, I got back to Bowling Green uh, because of that. Coach, when, when did the idea of pro hockey become a drive of yours? When, when did you really focus in on – I can do something here. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good question because, you know, I, if we're going to erase the fact that when I was 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and I tucked my jersey in like Wayne Gretzky and, and put powder on my Titan hockey stick in, in the backyard <laughs> and playing and band and stuff, that those are fantasies and those are, those are dreams. They're not really – like, did I think about – pro hockey when I was younger yes but um, it wasn't really until at Bowling Green I some of the players that I was playing with that I went to school with Rob Blake Nelson Emerson uh, Matt Ruckty other players started to turn pro that I thought that I thought maybe this is something I could I could do um, and it was so you know sophomore junior senior year I see these I see Rob Blake leave school and and go to the LA Kings. I see Nelson Emerson go off and, and play at St. Louis. And you see Kevin Dahl and Mark Pavin and, and Matt Ruckney before me go play pro hockey. And was then I was like, you know, maybe this is something I can, I can uh, do. And, and I was going to school to be an accountant. I was going to school to go off and get a job with a suit and a tie. But uh, as that you went on there, and even at the end of my, my senior year, I still was, I was interviewing with accounting firms at the same time when I was having a contract conversations with the Winnipeg Jets at the end of my senior year. So uh, the Ohio Hockey Digest is a publication that uh, the form is, is online. And, and a lot of times we get uh, questions from listeners when they know that we've got guests coming on. Uh, one such listener uh, asked uh, to remain anonymous for this question, but at Bowling Green, <laughs> At Bowling Green, you played <laughs> with many great people and players, uh, and especially for a great coach in Jerry York. Uh, the question is, during your sophomore year, how did you get your water? <laughs> uh, well, let's just be real clear. There was no – there was no um, – there was no hazing uh, at all. Um, especially after my freshman year. So going into my, my sophomore, junior and senior, we didn't have any of that. But when, you, when our freshmen came in um, to our team, um, they got assigned a mentor. 
uh, someone that should, my mentor was Matt Ruckty. Matt Ruckty was a year older than me when I came in as a freshman and, and he guided me along the way, guided me in what it meant to be a Bowling Green Falcon. And, and, uh, so the end of the, the, the long and short of the story is that, uh, my, I was mentoring Todd Reardon at the time. And so, um, Todd was, um, might've been the guy who got me water. Back in those days, we didn't have, you know, Gatorade jugs and we just, we got one cup that you got. I think we got it from the football games at Bowling Green Falcons on the side. And that was your water cup for the year. So, um, Todd was, uh, Todd was gracious enough to fill that with water for me. Yeah. I I wish some of these, uh, these guys, uh, these people who ask these questions would put their names. Well, I think we can put a name on that one. (laughs) Yeah. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for chiming in with uh, questions for our guests. It's really helpful in the process. Coach, you had a 12 year pro hockey career. What are your fondest memories from your playing days? Uh, one of my fondest memories. Well, I, I think, um, actually my most, my, my most vivid memory is it's, it's my hardest memory. It's my hurt, most hurtful memory, but, but, um, Stanley cup finals in 03, we put the Anaheim ducks in game seven. We lost to the New Jersey devils and you're that close to the Stanley cup. I mean, it was on the ice. You, when we started for warmups in game one, the Stanley cup was on the ice. I remember skating around thinking I'm that close to it. And that game losing in game seven was the worst, but most vivid memory that I've ever had as a player, uh, worst and best. Cause we were that close, but we didn't get it. But, um, you know, there's some other great memories along the way. Um, you know, I think one of my, I had a, I started my pro career a little less than I really hoped for, um, for various reasons, but I, I didn't get signed by the Winnipeg Jets. I, I went to their minor league camp, didn't make the team. And I went down to the East coast league. Uh, and I played in the East coast league for roughly a year and a half. Um, before I, I got some call-ups to Rochester, I got a call up to Albany. And then I finally got called back up to Winnipeg's farm team, Moncton, where I played, my second year for December on with Moncton. And one, another great memory is we went from last place on December 1st to making the playoffs and then going to the, to the Calder Cup finals with uh, Moncton. We lost to, to the Portland Pirates, Barry Trotz's team. A lot of great pros turned out to be NHL pros on that team. But that run and that playoffs was my was some of my greatest memories in hockey just from – First series, we we go to Game Seven and and on the road winning Game Seven, we win the next round in six with an overtime in Game Six, uh, overtime winner to go on and we get to the finals. We lose in the finals, but another one of my great memories. First game in the National Hockey League. I I, I think I, everything surrounding the game is more memorable to me than the game itself. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was uh, I I don't know if I ever thought I really was going to get called up to play in the National Hockey League. I was not a first-round draft pick. I wasn't a high prospect. I had gone from Winnipeg. I was playing in L.A. system. And, and you know, the, their draft picks, their guys, their prospects were guys that they wanted to call up. And I was kind of a journeyman, um, you know, not a high-skilled, not a high-point-getter. But So I didn't know it was ever going to come. And we were playing a game in Milwaukee in the IHL with Phoenix – 
and my parents had come over from Michigan to see the game in Milwaukee and, and it was it was about 8:45 in the morning and I was going downstairs at 9:15 to have breakfast with my parents and the phone rings there's really no reason for your phone to ring in a hotel room in Milwaukee at that particular time um you know and I, I pick up the phone and it was my coach which is that never happens uh, a coach calling you at 8:45 in the morning and, and he's informed me that I'd be going up to play with the Kings that night. And just that whole whirlwind of that was my call up to the National Hockey League. Played my first game um, in L.A. against Ottawa. It was just an all-whirlwind. And I can only tell you that, and I think of this often, because I see guys getting their first call up in the National Hockey League and what that must be like. I could barely stand up for the first 10 minutes of the game like I remember my legs being so rubber and so jello and and I was going in the corners and I'm like Whoa! <laughs> you know, barely being able to stand up that that's my that's my big, biggest most vivid memory of playing in that game but I just I remember skating around in warm-ups and Wayne Gretzky is out there and Marty McSorley and and NHL players and we're playing against the Ottawa Senators and it was like I'm standing on the ice in the National Hockey League, and that is probably the pinnacle pinnacle moment in my career. What was it like going into that locker room with those guys, you know, for your first game? Yeah, uh, it's it's um, it's. I mean, I was an older guy. I was 25, 26 years old, so I wasn't a rookie. I wasn't an 18 year old, but but going in and and. You know, I, I I have a vivid memory of the L.A. King. It was at the old forum, the dressing room. It was a, a square dressing room, kind of an old school, just stalls and, and a square dressing room and the chalkboard. At that time, it was my age, it was a chalkboard. <laughs> but the whiteboard's up at the front of the room and there's three, you know, parts of the square and I'm sitting in the corner. I'm sitting about 10 feet from Wayne Gretzky and I'm sitting three seats in and he's sitting three seats in. So I'm like staring on a, you know, I'm staring right at him. And I think the whole time I'm just staring right at him. Like, <laughs> you know, he, he moved, he tied his skates. I'm like looking at Wayne Gretzky and Kevin Stevens was to my right. And uh, it was just, you're look, you're just in awe of, of those guys, those people. And, you're there to play a hockey game, but uh, it was just, uh, I know, I said, I, I, I feel for Wayne Gretzky because everyone just stares at him all the right. time and see what he does. And, you know, it turns out he's just a pretty normal guy. Great hockey player, with the best hockey player, but pretty normal guy. But right. uh, the eyes are on him. Right. Well, Coach, so you, let's move on to the coaching. You start your coaching career. You spend uh, four years uh, – in the American Hockey League, and by the end of it, you become the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you guide them to a 40-point turnaround and hoist the Stanley Cup. Uh, a mid-season coaching change has to be interesting uh, on, on many fronts, right? Yeah. Uh, for the organization, for the players, for you, all that uh, good stuff. Can you walk us through a mid-season coaching change? Does the organization tell you what they want fixed? Or is that left up to you and how to figure that out? Or is it just the same message with a different voice? Yeah, it's a, that's a, it's a good question because 
I, I'll give you just a little more background. I, I coached a year in the American League, and then I coached in the NHL, the Islanders, for a year, then two years, American League assistant coach. So my, my first year head coaching was that year that I got called up to the Penguins. So I started coaching in Wilkes-Barre as a head coach for the very first time in that year. And I had coached, I think it was – 51 games it was august it was february 14 and it's a sunday morning and i'm we have a five o'clock game that night in wilkesbury um and phone rings i'm sitting in the training room with assistant coach two players and our trainer and the and the phone rings and it's ray shiro gm of the penguins and that would have been the second time he called me that year so when he, when his phone, when the phone rang and I saw it was Ray Shiro, I, I knew immediately what was, what was happening. I knew the, I talked to the assistant GM. I talked to Chuck Fletcher. I never talked to Ray. He, he called me at the beginning of the year to say, good luck. So now this phone's ringing and it's Ray. And I'm like, okay, I know what this is. I, I pick up the phone and he says, where are you at? And I said, I'm in the training. I'm at the rink. I'm in the training room. So I'm going to call you back in five minutes. Make sure you're in your office. So I go five minutes. So five minutes, that's five times 60 seconds. 300. 300. 300. That's, it, it, I don't know how to quantify what that was like. Was it quick or, was it quick or slow? Um, I think it was, it was, it was slow and slow because, I'm, I know what's happening. Right. I know what's going to come. And I'm trying to think of all the, all the stuff that jams into your head this quickly. In addition to the, to the fact that, holy crap, I'm going to be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Whoa. Now, like now rubber meets the road. So I had, I hadn't been coaching very long but I, I get the call from Ray and um, pretty short order. Ray just simply said, we're going to make a change in, in the coaching uh, in Pittsburgh. And would you be interested? And he said, and he, you know, it was, i looking back, it was pretty interesting because he said, would you be interested in coaching? And he said, if it's only for a day, if it's only for a week. So, and I was, you know, I, I, I don't know what he was asking me. I think I do now, but I, I don't know. I didn't know then. And I, I you know, I said, I said, yes, I, w- I would be. And, and to answer your question, what does he tell you? I kind of, I had been in the organization for two and a half years at that particular point. Um, I knew I was a part of what they were doing in, in uh, Pittsburgh and how they were playing. And I knew the, 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 relationship and the situation with the coach there with the coach and the, and the team in Pittsburgh, they had under, they'd gone to the Stanley Cup final in 08, obviously and lost to Detroit Red Wings. And they had struggled and were around 500 for a good part of that 09, 08, 09 season. So I, I knew there were rumblings. I knew there were, pro- I knew there were questions and I knew there were problems. Um, so it wasn't, Ray did not say, here's our problems. Here's what you need to fix. Um, I kind of, I kind of knew. Right. And uh, so 
you know, I, I ended up coaching that game in Wilkes-Barre that night. So I agreed to coach the team. He said, all right, don't tell anyone. You can call your wife, call Mary Beth, let her know. He said, you're going to coach the game tonight in Wilkes-Barre. And then you're going to get in the car and drive to Long Island. We play tomorrow at two in Long Island. So I coached that game that night. <laughs> I think I did. I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I we coached that game. Did you did you uh, win or did you win or lose that game? We won the game. Oh, there you go. We won the game. We were on a seven seven game win. That was win number seven in a row. So we were on a seven game win streak. And um, but anyway, we after that game, I let the players know that I was was going to be going up to to Pittsburgh. Got in a car, drove to Pittsburgh or drove to Long Island, and and we had a two o'clock game the next day. So um, I don't think you you do too much in terms of changing things um in that short order we you know i, I introduced myself to the team at a 9 30 breakfast in the morning we met at the rink at 11 30 12 and and we played a game at two um in long island and, and then we had two days off and then we uh, played back at home so that was more of a time we got to have a message to the team how we were going to change how we we're going to do things differently how we wanted to do things and then it went into playing the canadians there back in uh, pittsburgh and, and luckily for for me as a coach um i'm not i'm not really saying we changed a lot or or, or but we were able to get some wins pretty quickly there in pittsburgh so while we were changing how we wanted to play we won that game against montreal canadians we Philadelphia we started a little bit of a win streak and and uh, got things going and that just kind of propelled us to the end of the season and into the playoffs so in June 30th of 2013 USA hockey calls they name you the head coach of the men's national team for the Olympics in Sochi Russia was coaching in the Olympics ever something that you thought about prior to the selection and also during that shootout win over Russia did you have to convince TJ Yoshi to keep shooting? Um, so June 30, um, probably, I probably might've known he was calling a couple days before he called. Um, so my, that five minute window that Ray Shiro gave me for the Penguins, I probably had a 24 hours for, for <laughs> David Poyle calling, but I had, um, I most definitely was one of my goals to be coach of the U S team for the Olympics. Um, if you go back to the start of the 08, 09 season, I had five goals and being named the head coach of the, the Olympic team was the final one of those five goals. So yes, it was a part of a plan for me, something I really wanted to do and represent the, the country coach the, the U.S. team in the Olympics uh, was, I don't know where I want to place it in my uh, achievements for me, but it was, uh, you know, obviously you win a Stanley Cup. And so but that, that was a, a great, great uh, achievement and great goal for me. Did you have to convince Ocean to keep shooting? So it, it's, it's an interesting story, TJ, because we – Part of the conversation, you know, the, the picking of the team started in August of 2013. 
And we, we see the guys for five or six days in, in August, no, no time on the ice. We play the NHL season and we pick a team and we meet for two days before we go to the Olympics. So one of the reasons why TJ was appealing as a player was we thought we would be getting in the shootout in the Olympics at some point in time. And he's awesome at shootouts. So that was part of his selection you know, him, it was part of him making our team. And going into the game against the Russians, we were going against Bobrovsky, and, and we had scouted Bobrovsky's um, goals that he let in uh, in the shooting in the NHL. And um, so we thought he was particular, weak, and susceptible to players who deke to their forehand and went upstairs. And so we had Kane, and we had – you know, Parisi, we had Kessel, we had a lot of good players to choose from, but, but then JVR and, uh, and, uh, little Joe Pavelski had great moves to, to, to Pavelski's weakness. And so they went and TJ, I think he was eight for nine that year in the national hockey league and shootouts, you know, he's lights out his overall numbers for his career, are like 50%, but for the last two years, he had been like 75% or or something so it was lights out and and uh you know he goes first and scores and now he the other two guys go we're tied and now I can start using players again so I immediately call TJ up again and he go you know he he gets to go again I and I, I call him up so I call him up a third time and I can't remember which one he missed on. He missed on two of them, but I can't remember which one where he missed. But I think at some point he either was embarrassed that he was, you know, getting going again and again when I got some great players and, you know, sitting on the bench. Um, but I think it was after the fourth time he went and forwards D were sitting to the left of me and the forwards are sitting to the right of me and it's a super long bench in the international game. Cause you have 20 players on there. And so there's lots of players and he had gone in the defenseman door and he was sitting on the bench at the far end of the bench. <laughs> so I think on the fifth one, I was like TJ and I couldn't find him. And he was, cause he had gone in down there and it was sitting down to my left. And I see him, I see him like kind of, pull his head back and now I can see him at the end of the bench way down there. And I'm like, get out there. I mean, let's go. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he, he, he eventually scores on the six one, but I six one and we win the game, but I've watched it. And I didn't watch it for a long time afterwards. I I've watched it a few times, especially in the past few months, we've seen it a few times on, on the, uh, on the different broadcasts. We've seen that game play. And I, I just, I can't, I can't believe I picked them six times in a row. I just, I just <laughs> can't believe it. But I, I do remember, like on the bench, Peter Lavalette was to my left, and and I was like, should I use him again? And he's like, yep, use him again. <laughs> but it was awesome. It was awesome. Even when he missed, I'll say it. Even yeah. when he missed, he beat Burbowski out of his shorts. Both times that he missed, I mean, one, Bobrovsky got with the tip of his stick, and the other time, well, both times, empty nets, but just t tip the stick. And I just felt like, hey, the guy's he has three different moves with the same thing, and so he can do five-hole, he can deke to his backhand, he can deke to his forehand, and he, he mixes them all up, and he was just – I thought he was killing Bobrovsky, and 
just going to keep putting them out there. You think he was gaining confidence the more he went? See it like seeing things himself, you know, just missing or hitting the tip of the stick. And I think, that, that, I, and, and in turn, that gave you the confidence to go, go, go again, go. Yeah, it, I it, think, it, it also had to have Bobrowski like, oh my God, not this guy again. I, I think, I mean, I mean, he beat him bad every time. He didn't score. Yeah. I mean, he scored four out of six, but he, he beat him bad every time. And I, I think, I don't think Bobrowski had any clue what he was doing. And, not what Bravosky was doing, but what TJ no, was no, doing. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, I think TJ, uh, he he kind of he said I've heard him say, and I afterwards he's like, even when I didn't score, I I I I had empty nets. I like I should have scored every time. So I think because he has the three different options and he does them so well, he started off with five hole, and you know he. Deke to his backhand and scored. He deke to his forehand hit the stick. He deke to his backhand hit the stick, and then he went five hole again later. So he he knew he wanted to go five hole first, and he knew he wanted to go five hole when he scored the sixth one that that won. Yeah. I I know I asked you this once before about Jonathan Quick. Quick saw what probably the same three guys over and over as it went. He saw Kovalchuk, Datsuk, and Melkin, and then I think it was. Malkin only went once, I believe. And then I think it was Kovalchuk and Datsuk and Datsuk and Kovalchuk went the most. Is he the most so flexible? Yes, he saw those. Is he the most flexible, unorthodox goaltender you've ever seen? Quick. Yeah. Not, not, not that he's not good. Not that he's not good. I don't mean that. Yeah. No, I he's um I think you're I don't think we've seen anybody quite like him and what he can do in terms of he's a small goaltender how far and aggressive he plays but also how laterally he can he can move and and be aggressive it's he made a save against the canadians um on their power play where it was a a seam pass from one flank to the face off dot basically actually it might have been actually might have been the russians it was the russians it was malkin taking the one-timer and he gets over Complete splits, pad totally flat, glove on top of his pad, and it's just like it's it's un it's not fathomable by that he could get from over there to here in a total split and still be in control. And what he can do is is outrageous in terms of his flexibility. And so I don't think any other goaltender really plays quite like Jonathan Quick plays. So so we're talking about some of these great players like that. Now obviously you've coached really really high end players. Uh, you're a Stanley Cup champion, Jack Adams Award winner. You've coached the Olympics. You've coached like Sidney Crosby, Malkin, and now Darren Larkin. What, Dylan? I'm sorry. What what sets these guys apart from everyone else? Well, um, I think they're like uh, talking about Sidney Crosby, and, and I'll throw Malkin in there too. Is they're they're their work ethic is insatiable. It's massive. They 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 desperately are trying to be the best, and they they work unbelievably hard at at uh, their game, and they want to be all of them to a, to a man. They want to be pushed, and they want to be coached. They want to get better, and that's one of the questions I get an awful lot. Is like 
how do you coach Sidney Crosby? And it's, it's, uh, and I get the question because what he's the best player in the game, arguably for some, the best player ever in the game. And what, what, what could I possibly say or do to him that could help him be better? I mean, it's, but he's, he's got an unbelievable work ethic and he wants to get better. And he, he's unbelievable at getting better. You talk about a certain aspect of his game, he goes out and works on it and he gets better at it. You talk about face-offs, you talk about tipping in the puck, you talk about he, he's insatiably goes out and works hard on it and wants to become the best in the game at it. And frankly, he does. So it's uh, you see that in Melkin as well. You see that in Dylan Larkin as well. You see that in all the great to me, and you see that in all the great players. You know, I think that's that's huge to hear. You know, we have an array of listeners from youth all the way to junior and college players, and it's the 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 idea that they they want to get coached and they want to get better, and and I think you know some of our youth lack that into where they just they just want to go out and just do it themselves and not be coached. So, I mean, you got guys like Sidney Crosby that are, you know, that want to be the best and want to be coached up, if you will. And I, you know, and, and that's that I think all of our youth should, should hear that and, and believe in that. Absolutely. And that's, I, I, it just doesn't happen. It's just, you know, it just doesn't right. happen. Sidney Crosby has, has God given abilities for sure, but how hard he works is, is what makes him great. And it's yes, he's got a great ability, but I had a I've had a numerous people, but I've had people, other coaches and other other GMs watching a Pittsburgh Penguins practice, and even for a morning skate, and they're like, we have no chance. If your players work, if those players work that hard in a morning skate, we have no chance. They're they're gonna they're better than us, and that's something you see from from those guys all the time. Right. So you're obviously involved in, in USA hockey. How do you see hockey trending in the United States? And what do you think needs to happen or continue to happen to keep the game more accessible and better for all? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Cause I, I, I hockey's, it's an expensive sport, you know, it's um, and I think, feels like we make it more expensive, more and more expensive. You know, I, I, my son's 21 right now. Um, so I'm past, um, him playing amateur hockey and, and, and growing up and playing AAA and travel hockey, but to, to play double A hockey in Pittsburgh, um, double A travel hockey and play triple A travel hockey in Pittsburgh. And it takes a lot of Money. It's not accessible to everybody, and that's something I'd love to see. Love to see change. I don't know, you know, I don't know how it's going to change, but um, I think, you know, I think we can play hockey in our area. We don't have to travel all over the planet to to uh, make it seem like we're doing something. Um, but it's a it's a it's a good question because I feel hockey becoming more and more a game for the elite or the privileged. It, it costs a lot of money. And so it just doesn't, uh, 
it's not it's not necessarily available to everyone I, so it like talking to a youth player, high school, junior college player, whatever. Um, what would, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them and how to improve? What would they have to spend more time on? Uh, I mean, I, it's a, obviously different for different players, but if you could say to one thing, like what would you say to the youth player, the college player, the high school player, the junior player that, you know, that, although you have to, you have to focus on skill and this, you should focus on other things as well. So what would that be? I'm not going to like the answer, but um, skating, to be quite honest, skating is the number one by a country mile, the most important skill that to have. And it's one I would say we work on the least of, of any, any of the skills in, in the game of hockey. Um, you kind of, you get to move, you move around. I mean, it's, it's like in basketball or football, like running is a part of you playing the game. You don't work on your running necessarily. So at least, I, you know, I never did when I played basketball or baseball, but skating is the most important skill. Um, and you want to become a hockey player, become a good skater, have speed, have power, have the, that is, that is the game of, of hockey. You know, I, I think we drop, if we go out on the ice, we drop the puck and it's not going to take very long for someone to shoot the puck, shoot it against the board, shoot it into an empty net. If you give them time after practice, they, sh- they stand around the cage and hit, shoot slappers <laughs> at the net. And, it, you know, or or in, our, in our game, they hit the glass, you know? Yeah. Well, fans like that. I mean, they do <laughs> like that. It makes noise. <laughs> That's like a three-pointer, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, you shoot the puck, you shoot the puck. I, I shot the puck one time a game in the National Hockey League when I played. Um, the, the average of, I don't know what the average for a player is, but it might be one and a half times a game you shoot the puck. doesn't happen very often. Shooting's not very high on my list. Puck handling is, is uh, high on my list. The game is about the puck. Puck protection, puck handling, not stick handling, puck handling, puck protection is is probably second on my list. Passing, third, and shooting is like way down the street, although we like to do it. Toe dragging and stick handling, stick handling, puck protection, puck handling, not not including stick handling, is the that is where the game is about the puck. The game is about a one-on-one against another player. And so skating is the most important by a country mile and your ability to play a one-on-one puck, protect, control the puck, win the puck, win your lane is the second most important thing. Right. Why, why do you think that, that players are so deficient in it? Is it because maybe the camps they attend or, or just camps in general, it's not a lack of, lack of better term. It's not sexy to work on skating it's more exciting to toe drag a million times or to stick handle over stick handle the puck to not be as good at passing as maybe you should be. What do you see as the reasoning why maybe we're deficient in the skating aspect? Well, first, first of all, I would say like I coach my son in baseball. I played baseball in high school and, and I coach my son in baseball and I, I, I wasn't, 
I, I dawned on me that I knew nothing about hitting a baseball. I, I knew nothing about it. I, I, I just, I grew up playing the game. I held the bat, I swung at the ball and I hit the ball and I was pretty good at it. So that's what I did for 10 years. I don't, but I went to coach my son. I really don't know anything about it. And I think that for, for me, and I'm a little bit younger, older. So many years ago when, when I grew up playing amateur hockey and then going to some camps and, and doing different schools and whatnot, like I don't think very many people know how to teach skating. So I, I was 26 years old when I, when I heard someone tell me how to do a crossover and a tight turn and realized that I didn't do it correctly. And was it because when I went to, someone did teach me, it might've been my dad and it might've been my coach, it might've been at a hockey school. They taught me to put my stick into the middle and, and lean into the circle and do a crossover. Was it because of that? I don't know, but I didn't know how to do a crossover and I didn't do it right. I just had skated a lot and I was a decent skater and I obviously made it to the National Hockey League, but I didn't know. And so at 26 years old, I'm like, I do it wrong. I, this is why I, when I'm driving the net and I'm leaning in, someone pushes on me, I go down, I fall down. It's, this is why. Um, I was 29 years old and I, was, I went to a hockey camp in the summertime to learn how to teach hockey because I was doing a hockey camp and I wanted to, to know how to teach it. And the, the head instructor was talking about doing a saucer pass. And as he's demonstrating how to do a saucer pass and he's teaching it to the kids, I'm standing there, an NHL player saying, hmm, I don't, I can't do a saucer pass. I don't know how to do a saucer pass. I can shoot the puck across the ice, but I can't do a saucer pass 10 feet. So, cause you, you can't shoot the puck 10 feet. You can shoot it across the ice. So it can go in the air and, but you can't shoot the puck 10 feet. So I didn't know how to do a saucer pass. And I'm like, you know, I went home that summer and I had to learn how to do a saucer pass with my son in the basement and he's two years old and the stick in his hand. I had to learn, I had to learn how to do a saucer pass. So I, there are, I think along the way, as we progress in hockey, I don't know if we get, we have coaches who can teach us skills and we just, we, we do drills and we do things, but we don't learn we don't learn those things. So how did I teach my son how to play baseball? I just, you know, I, I batting practice, you know, you don't, yeah, I know. I didn't teach him a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you that's so. And, and, um, and, and coach, do you think that part of that big problem, it could be hockey, it could be baseball, it could be basketball, whatever it may be. It is some of the time that we live in and that people don't want to get involved. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, I, some things I, you know, hockey now, if you want, you can get a skills coach and you can do these different things, which costs a lot of money. And it seems, but we're, well, there's more skills available to us as players, if you can afford that. Right. Um. So I think more skills are being taught, but I, I you know, do, can I tell you, handfuls of players that can't do a, a, a pivot from backwards to forwards um, in the National Hockey League. 
yeah, they, well, they do it, but they do it incorrectly. Right. But um, there's tons of them. So it's a little, I think to your point, Jason, the, there's, you know, there's, it's sexy to do a stick handling. It's sexy to, to do a fancy drill. It's sexy to toe drag. Um, it's not really that sexy to work on your pivoting. It's not that sexy to work on your stride and, and skating. So, um, it's, um, but, but those are the important things. Those are the important things, but those, but, but those are the important things. Dylan Larkin is a great skater. He's a great skater. He's, you know, it's his shot. He's, he's an NHL player. Cause he's a great skater. Connor McDavid is a the best skater ever. You know, it's skating is the most, most important. You know, you brought up a good, you brought up a good point. I would, I, in, you know, I, I think this is something that maybe, uh, you know, our listeners should, should hear, like, instead of, instead of saying how many shots your son or daughter took in a game, well, that's okay. Go ahead and, and track that, but also say, also see how many strides your son or daughter took as well. You know, I mean, we, we, we I joked a hundred, a hundred times about Allen Iverson with that whole practice thing. <laughs> Talk about practice. Yeah. Well, he said it three times as much as he said game during that whole rant. So even he knows that practice is three times more important. He said yeah. it three times more, but you know, if, if we could, if we could get our, you know, some coaches and parents to understand what's really important. And this is why it's, this is why this podcast, although it's fun to do and we got good people coming on, it's also educational and teaching our, our youth and not only our youth, but our junior kids, our college kids work on your skating, yeah. work on this, work on that. I'll tell two stories about teaching and learning. Um, I had a, I had, I was doing hockey camps in Michigan uh, for a number of years and I had a coach of a triple A team in Grand Rapids um, contact me and say, I'd like you to do a camp for my triple A team, for my triple A players. And I, I think they were 12. I was, I recall they were 12. Um, and I was, I was, uh, I met the guy and he said, you know, we're this and we're good. We're really good. And we're this great and we're advanced. And, and he's talking about the left wing lock and, and I had never played the left wing lock. So I, I really didn't know. I always like to say, are, are is that our left wing locking or are we locking their left wing? <laughs> <laughs> like, which, is it, are we, is it the left or is it the right? And uh, anyways, so I was like, there, and I, I, I got done with it. I was there with my father and this coach and I got done with the conversation and I was like, how old are these kids? They're, tw they're, they're, they're 11 or 12. Holy Christmas. Like I thought he was talking about a national hockey league team and how good they were and how advanced they were. So I, I, I kind of, I scrapped my normal lesson plan for teaching these kids and I did an advanced le uh, lesson plan and we go out for the first drill and, they can't pass. We can't complete a drill. It was, it was terrible. And I was like, hold on a second. Like, we got to go back to the, we got to go back to the beginning. And I threw the new one out, grabbed the old one. And we went with the fundamental skating. And, and the other story I tell you is like, I, I, I Coached my son as he'd gone up, so I've coached in different organizations. I've coached at different levels, some travel, some B travel, some double A, some triple A travel. And 
I think when I coach the kids, I spend time on skating. And I think if, if I hadn't been, uh, if I hadn't been the coach of a, a pro team at the time, parents would have probably kicked me off the ice. And I, I think there's, there's not a, there's not an appetite. And it's not so much from the kids as sometimes the parents um, think we need to be doing bigger and better and greater and grander things with our practice time. And, and uh, you know, I, spend X amount of time every time with the kids with skating. And I said, we're, we're all, well, the other assistant coach who was, who ran the leagues, like, I don't know, we wouldn't be getting away with this if it wasn't with, for you being on the ice. The parents wouldn't tolerate just working on skating. And so it's a, I think there's some other things that um, the sexy part of it is not just the kids. It's some for the parents. Right. They want their kids to, be playing games and doing hula hoops and doing skills things and the important parts of the games are are sometimes not those things. Right, right. Back to the coaching days, coach. And you're in Detroit right now, and the organization is going through a bit of a rebuild. What challenges does that pose to you and the staff? And what excites you about that opportunity? Yeah, it's uh you know, it's a. So I just finished my second year with Detroit. I think um, both years, while we won probably more games in my first year than my second year, both years we we start out knowing that we are um, rebuilding, that we are um, starting at the ground level, and and we're building with our players, and and that's it's difficult because it's a challenge because you don't get, uh, you don't get the wins and losses that you'd like to, well, you get the losses, but you don't get the wins that you'd like to have and you need to have as a coach. Um, but I, I think the one, one thing that Jeff Blaschel has done a tremendous job is with, with our young players and with our group is we just we're focused on getting better every day we possibly can with our practice and with the opportunities we get in games to, to keep getting better, to keep building, to keep building how we want to play and, and how we are as a team. And, and that's tough when you don't get a lot of wins in the column because that's, uh, you know, we're, we're all judged on wins and losses and winning's a lot, a hell of a lot funner than losing is. But, um, you know, our focus has been the last couple of years with, as we, go through this stage with the Detroit Redskins. just keep getting better with every, every game, every practice that we have an opportunity to do. And, and that's, I said, Jeff's, Jeff's done an unbelievable job of guiding our young players, guiding our group with that message and that mantra. Well, switch gears here a little bit. You're, uh, you know, your championship golfer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, championship baseball player. Um, you also love to fish. What have you been doing during your downtime during COVID? Uh, well, I will say, so March 14, I believe, is when we came home from what we were in Washington, getting ready to play the Capitals and season pause. And we came home and we weren't quite sure what was going on at that point in time in the world and in hockey, frankly. 
But um, I think that was a Thursday. I came home Thursday, Friday. My son is in spring break. He's off in school in, in Utah. And I we heard that the state was going to, state of Michigan was going to get shut down and locked down, whatever that meant. And we're like, we got to go get our son. So we drove out to get our son and we drove back on the weekend and we got back to Detroit. And frankly, for the, the next two months, we did nothing. Literally, we, we walked the dog in the morning, we walked the dog in the evening, and my wife went grocery shopping one time. And other than that, we didn't leave the house for two months. So we, we were locked down. We had our son, which was a good thing, um, but we didn't do much. It wasn't until the end of May um, I started getting into some fishing and getting to back to the west side and, and doing some steelhead fishing and doing some walleye fishing and some trout fishing and, and been doing that a little bit of golf although not very much i just uh i think i've played my fourth round today so uh more fishing than golfing but what, 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 what was it a 74 today is that what it was yeah, yeah. i can't wait to hear this number <laughs> yeah see that smile see that he knows it's close to that what was it what was it Dan? 76 today oh, yeah 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 i hear you i hear you i knew it was gonna be low I knew it was gonna be low. Yeah. Well, I've yeah, it was front nine was better than the back, but it was good. I we we played so there was I I was I played a I played a, a scramble with my brother and another guy uh, last Friday, and so I hadn't played at all, and was like crap. I better I better play a couple of times. So I played two rounds of golf, and then I went and did the the round with my the scramble, and I hadn't played very good up to that point, but I. I I putted the best round of my life in that scramble. I made over 150 foot of putt. It was like, I <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever had putted like that. It was pretty crazy. I was just laughing. I was like the first putt rolled in from 40 feet away. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, here we are. So is, it, so is it safe to say that you didn't own any of the three putts or, or the yeah, sand I didn't. for the water? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I will say I didn't. I putted way better than I did when I played with you, Sully. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Because I still own one. I, I think. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I, I still own it. 18th hole. Yeah. It was. It was the 18th hole. I own that. I did. And, yeah. and yeah, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But anyhow. Um, <laughs> well, hey, Dan. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on and talking with us. We really appreciate it. It was fun. Um, glad to hear that you guys are doing well. Stay safe up there in Michigan. Um, and, uh, you know, love to have you back on uh, and we'll talk soon. Maybe we'll, we'll get out and own a couple holes together. So, yeah, that sounds good. Well, one thing before I go, Sully, what, what color is that wall behind you? That is a, it's a magenta. It's a magenta. That's what I, it's, I couldn't tell if that was <laughs> pink or mauve or magenta, but yeah, that makes sense. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate this it. It was good to be with you. This is red. That's a magenta. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I got to get into a quiet space, brother. Come on. I hear you. All right, Dan. Nice talking to you, buddy. We'll uh, talk soon, all right? All right, right, Sully. All right, guys. Oh, man, what a show today. Talking uh, to Ben Simon and Dan Balsma, both of the uh, Detroit Red Wings organization. Uh, Ben Simon, head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins, and Dan Balsma, assistant coach of the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, what a great show getting those guys to talk about their past talk about what's going on in the pro game i mean we're talking about dan belsma olympic coach stanley cup champ 
uh, all-time leading leading uh, wins in Pittsburgh history. Uh, quickest to get to 200 uh, in 300 and some games. Uh, what uh, I mean, what an opportunity we had right there, Jay, to talk to these guys. We we talked about it earlier in the show that we're blessed to be able to do what we're doing here, and today was another example of that you know with Don Van Massenhoven the other day, and 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 you know the likes of Shauna Conway and in the women's game and and Lindsey Wallace, and well today was just, I mean one for being Red Wing fans and and this and that, but you got guys in 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 Ben Simon and Dan Bowsma that you know. I think it was Ben that said it. It, it's, it doesn't, the message is the same, no matter where you're coaching. It, it might've been something I was, you know, looking up before we interviewed him, but it doesn't matter. You know, you know, Ben talks about, you know, when he got sent down, it was an eye open experience. And, and, you know, you go from big fish in a small pond, little fish, big pond and blah, blah, blah. Enjoy the process. And in Dan Balsma, you have the perseverance. I mean, you, Dan said, and we've heard him, you know, Dan speak before, but, and he said it again today. He didn't understand how to skate until he was 26. I mean, what? Played pro hockey. And he didn't, he didn't really learn. He kept learning along the way. And, and, you know, he, he gets his first head coaching job. And oh, by the way, he's with the Pittsburgh Penguins and they just happened to win a Stanley Cup. And, uh, what two years later he wins the Jack Adams Award? I mean, come on, it's just it, th- th- what we're doing is so fun, and and yes, we're having a good time, and hopefully we're putting good content out for the listeners that that hopefully are listening in. But man, we're learning, and you said it to him today as well that that you know we get to do a lot of cool things and talk to a lot of cool people, but we're also learning, and and situations like today, you just learn from the American League coach. You learn from a guy from Notre Dame. You learn from a guy from Bowling Green and now a, a professional head coach and a professional assistant coach that, that sees the greatest players on a daily basis. I mean, these guys hit everything that people our age or at our level should be listening to and what they should be doing. And I'm not, I'm not passing judgment on, on the way people conduct themselves, but you get the opportunity to listen and learn from people that, that are doing it and have done it take advantage of it. It was like uh, coach Bellsma talked about Crosby and and his work ethic and, and how they want to be coached, how they want to get better, how they drive to be the best. And you have to have that drive and you have to have it in your stuff. And you have to trust that the coaches are doing the right thing. Now, do coaches do the right thing all the time? No, no. We talked about that last week, Jay. We talked about how certain people are out for certain things not the betterment of the players, right? But, right. you know, it was nice right. to hear from a pro coach. It's nice to hear from a pro coach who coached the best player in the game right now, Sidney Crosby, and said he works harder than anybody else. And it just doesn't happen. Does he have God-given ability? Yeah. But it does. It just doesn't happen. And, and also when he said the number of NHL guys that can't do a transition from forward to backward correctly. I mean, you know, in watching games, and obviously, when you get into hold, hold on a second. If the NA, if the, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but if the NHL guys struggle to do it, how in the hell do we think that our youth, our high school, our juniors, our college kids are proficient in it? They're not. Yeah, right. I mean, the the fact that he said that, you know, Dylan Larkin is is one of the best skaters in the game, and Connor McDavid, 
as as I've heard before, Connor McJesus in Edmonton is the best skater probably ever in the game of uh, game of hockey. What are we deficient in again? Right. That's what right. got those guys there. There's something that gets these guys to that level. Be it their their puck handling, be it their scoring prowess, be it whatever. But skating is at the root of it. And yeah, I'm sure there's guys that I don't want to say slip through the cracks. Everybody that plays professionally is good. Everyone is good at that level. Everyone. Doesn't matter. This guy can't skate. Well, he, he does something, right? Obviously, he's there. So, I mean, the message that he's sending is just fundamentals are what can get you a long way in this game. Maybe not to where, you know, the driveway dream of, of playing, you know, five seconds left and you're in the Stanley Cup. Maybe not, but those fundamentals and to hear it from that level. I mean, Ben's basically said the same thing. And then there's, yeah. there's the Stanley Cup coach telling you the same exact thing. Right. It's just, man, we're blessed. And well, I'll tell you I what. Love, I, I love every second of it. I'll tell you what, man. I, what a great day uh, having a, uh, an awesome conversation with those two gentlemen. And I look forward to, to more of those. I know you do as well. You know, as they say, Jay, you don't have to go home, but you have to get out of here. That'll do it for episode 13 of On Air. We'd like to thank our guests from Grand Rapids Griffins head coach Ben Simon and from the Detroit Red Wings assistant coach Dan Belsma for joining us. Next week, we'll be celebrating America's independence. So join us in two weeks when we'll be joined by the general manager and head coach of the Toledo Cherokee, Kenny Miller. And from the ACHA Tri-States Central Hockey League, Commissioner Tim Driscoll will join us. Be good, stay safe, and stay distant. You can find On Air Podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes, archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, Ohio Hockey Digest Podcast.